Welcome. You are listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's always better to hear it live, this is a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. Enjoy our latest installment. Shabbat Shalom. Well, the first half of the 8th century BCE in northern Israel may not strike you as the most obvious time or place to begin a sermon on the definition of a life of holiness, for reasons which, if you bear with me, I will make clear it is a necessary chronological and geographical foundation stone upon which any Jewish discussion of Kedushah, of holiness, must be situated. According to biblical scholars, the first half of the 8th century before the Common Era was both the best of times and the worst of times for ancient Israel. The Israelite kingdom, long since divided into two entities, Israel in the north and Judah in the south, was experiencing a period of unprecedented economic, political, and military prosperity, what the great Bible scholar Martin Noth called a kind of golden age. The defeat of Israel's northern neighbor in 796 and the expansion of Israel's trade relationship with Phoenicia in the south resulted in a period of power and prestige comparable only to the legendary kingdom of David. The monarchies of King Jeroboam II in the north and King Uzziah in the south, they were respectively each strong and they lived at peace with one another. The borders of the joint kingdom, as described in the Book of Kings, extended to the south, north, and east from the entrance of Hamath as far south as the Sea of the Arava, a territorial expansion matched only by King Solomon. The literary evidence, the archaeological evidence, all testifying to the prosperity of the era. It was the best of times for ancient Israel. As the expression goes, life was good. Except, of course, for those for whom life was not good. Those for whom it was really, really bad. That it was the worst of times. As a professor of mine at the University of Chicago, Israel Knoll, remember the name, we're going to return to it, explains, despite or more precisely, because of the unprecedented prosperity, a series of social and economic gaps began to develop in ancient Israel's society. As a nouveau riche class of landowners emerged, an entire segment of the population lost their claim to the land forced to sell or be evicted from their ancestral plots in order to subsist. A world of haves and have-nots. The rich grew richer and the poor grew poorer, and those who were positioned to fix the social polarization were disinclined to do so for fear of losing their own power. The priests of the time, most famously Amatsia, were beholden to those in power and delimited their sphere of concern to ritual matters. It was in this context that the moral voice of the prophets arose. There had, of course, been local prophets before Nathan, Deborah, Huldah, Elijah, and Elisha, to name but a few. 
But these new prophets, what we call the classical prophets, Isaiah, Amos, Micah, and others, brought with them a call for morality, for justice, and for righteousness. They saw the inequities of their day, and they called the leaders and the nation to account. These are the ancient prophetic voices from which modern-day prophets of social reform, from David Ben-Gurion to Martin Luther King, draw the words of Amos, let justice roll down like waters, righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. The words of Isaiah, devote yourselves to justice, aid the wrong, uphold the rights of the orphan, defend the cause of the widow. For these prophets, a life of Kedushah, holiness, meant a life in pursuit of justice, a life filled with acts of compassion, tzedakah, and righteousness. For these prophets, it was morality, not ritual, that was at the core of holy living. In order to appreciate the revolutionary role of these prophets, you have to appreciate that before them, a life of Kedusha holiness defined by the prophets was understood to be achieved by way of meticulous attention to cult law and ritual observance. The observance of sacred time to keep the Sabbath and the festival calendar, the observance of sacred space from the burning bush to Mount Sinai to the temple of Jerusalem, certain places that people could and couldn't enter, the observance of sacred rituals, the sacrifices we offer, the diet we keep, the commandments we adhere to. These were the ways to articulate a life of Kedushah. The 8th century prophets were revolutionary because they shifted the emphasis away from ritual to morality. What God wants, what God really, really wants, as preached by the prophet Micah, is for us to do justice, to love mercy, and walk humbly before the Lord. Morality, not ritual observance, is what defines a life of holiness. And it's here that the conflict between priest and prophet, cult and morality, emerges. According to the prophets, the problem was not just that people needed to pay attention to the afflictions of the downtrodden. The problem was that it was those very folk, the priestly class and their devotees, who laid claim to living a life of Kedusha, who were the very people turning a blind eye, or even worse, the enablers of the injustices afflicting society. The priests and their devotees adhered to the laws of the Sabbath. They kept the fasts of our people. They offered the prescribed sacrifices at the proper place and time. And yet not only did they, in their insular observances, blind themselves to the suffering of humanity, but they would cynically point to their ritual observance as a shield to protect themselves from the accusation that their behavior was anything but holy. The prophet Amos describes those who sat at home observing the Sabbath, eagerly awaiting its conclusion so that once Shabbat is over, they can return to cheating the poor. Those who lay on their ivory beds reclining on the altar upon garments taking in pledge from the needy. Those who drank in the wine in the house of God with wine purchased by way of fines imposed on the destitute. What need have I of your sacrifices, declares Isaiah, adding, your new moon and fixed seasons fill me with loathing. Though you pray at length, I will not listen. Your hands are stained with crime. Was a life of Kedusha to be defined by ritual or by righteousness? As Shalom Spiegel explains in his famous essay on the conflict between the prophet Amos and the priest Amatzia, this was a fault line. This was a debate that defined 8th century religious life in Israel. All of which 
is a very, very long way to introduce our Torah reading and its definition of what constitutes a life of holiness. Our Torah reading, as our B'nai Mitzvah pointed out, is called Kedoshim, its first command. Kedoshim to you, ki kadosh ani Hashem Elokechem. You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. An aspirational opening declaration, if there ever was one, an appeal to be godlike in our behavior, the headline to what everyone from B'nai Mitzvah students to Bible scholars call the holiness code. How will the Torah define holiness? Ritual or righteousness? Does it take the side of the priest or the prophet? We know about the sacred Sabbath seasons and spaces and places, the rituals and laws. We hear the cry of Amos, Isaiah, and Micah, the prophetic call to build a just society. What is it going to be? What is the definition of a life of holiness? And we go no further than the very first verse to find our answer. Ish imo ve'aviv tirau ve'et shabtotai tishmeru ani Hashem elokechem. You shall each revere your mother and father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. How shall you honor God? How shall you live a life of holiness? It's not either or, it's both. You honor the Sabbath and you honor your parents. The next verse commands a precise manner by which a sacrifice shall be offered. And the verse after that commands us to leave the edges of our fields for the poor. There's a set of ethical injunctions against defrauding our fellow, insulting the death, putting a stumbling block before the blind, sitting adjacent to the ritual rules, prohibiting the mixture of certain seeds. In the same breath and with equal authority that the text invokes a universal appeal to love your neighbor as yourself, it mandates the most obscure prohibition against wearing wool and linen. The same text prohibiting forbidden sexual relations for fear of imitating the Canaanite cult reminds us to rise before the elderly and do no wrong to the stranger. It's not an easy Torah reading to get through, because it bounces around from topic to topic, ethical and ritual, particular and universal. Most readers choose to focus on one or the other, but to do so, I think, misses a point. The point, the message of Kedoshim, is that it's not one or the other. It's both. To be holy is to observe ritual. To be holy is to live righteously. To be holy is to perform Jewish distinct acts. To be holy is to respond to the needs of all of humanity. According to Israel Knoll, the scholar I mentioned a few moments ago, the text of this Parsha of Kedoshim, the Holiness Code, can be dated to the 8th century BCE because it reflects the intermingling of the two strands, the priestly and the prophetic, two strands that had hitherto functioned independently and at odds with each other. Only here do they come together side by side, cultic and ethical, ritual and moral, particular and universal, codified into one law, forever leaving its mark on any future discussion of holiness. Now, you may or may not care about what happened in 8th century ancient Israel, and you may or may not care about discussions about when this bit or that bit of the Torah was edited and compiled. But what you must care about if you want to have a discussion on the Jewish definition of holiness, is this Torah reading, a Torah reading which, if I need to remind you, sits in the very center of the very middle book of the Torah, the linchpin that holds everything together. 
In every age, at every stage of Jewish history, the debate has existed. Is the emphasis on ritual or righteousness, cult or morality? It's a question that gets to the core of everything. Not just what God, what God wants from the Jewish people, but, but what the world needs from the Jewish people. Do we keep our distinctiveness following covenantal laws of calendar, cult, and culinary preference that keep us distinct? Or do we follow laws that set us up in dialogue with the world at large and express our covenantal commitment to a shared humanity? Is our calling to obey laws for which there may be no logical reason, like the obscure prohibitions of our Torah reading? Or do we follow the laws also in our Torah reading that, frankly, anyone, Jew and non-Jew, should and could follow? Is the point of religious leadership to teach and model adherence to ritual law? Or is it to adjure people to respond to the urgent cry of a suffering humanity? Which path is more likely to secure the Jewish future? Which path reflects God's will? There have been times in Jewish history, I'm thinking most recently of the emergence of reform in Orthodox Judaism in the 1800s, when the former placed its emphasis on universal morality and the latter on observing Jewish law as if one or the other is a more authentic expression of Judaism. Our Torah reading says otherwise. Our answer has been there from the very beginning. It is not and has never been one or the other. It's both. And we hear in our own day the voice of the prophet warning us to never hide behind religious observance. If in doing so we ignore the social ills of the day, we must never be an institution that allows our mission to be delimited to just the sphere of religion proper. We know that for religion to be just, for religion to be proper, we need to engage in the issues of the day, to ask the hard questions, to name the afflictions of those people who are strangers in our midst. We need to exemplify a Torah of chesed, of compassion, to each other and to the world, and to fight to mend this world through small and large acts of tikkun olam. And prophetic as our faith must be, we must also be careful to never forget our commitment to living and modeling a life of ritual observance, of keeping the mitzvot, the ones that make sense and are convenient, and the ones that do not and are not. We need to live as loving, literate, engaged, and observant Jews. Being a Jew means being a good person, but it means far more than being a good person. It means living a life distinct from the rest of humanity, differentiated by calendar, meets foot, and community. This is actually the take-home message of our Torah reading, that when the world sees, when God sees that this people, this mamlechet koanim, this kingdom of priests, who live according to the commandments and also live according to a moral code in conversation with and be speaking a commitment to all of humanity, that is the moment that we become kadosh, it's not one or the other, it's both, and that is the point. It is hard, if not impossible, to lift the Torah up by just one pole. To do it properly, you have to hold fast to both, as a Jew and as a Jewish community. Holy living isn't easy. It's a full-time job, and not just for rabbis. It says it right there in the opening line of the Torah reading, Kedoshim to you, you shall be holy. Second person plural, all of you, all of us, 
have to aspire to be holy. No one priestly class, no one band of prophets is entrusted with the ritual and moral health of our people. It's the decisions that each one of us make, thirsting for a life of mitzvot, seeking to build a world of chesed, living proudly as Jews and serving our shared humanity as Jews. That is what defines a life of Kedushah in Northern Israel, in North America, in the 8th century BCE or the present century, wherever and whenever Jews have sought to live lives of holiness. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to Park Avenue Podcasts, a place to be to catch the music, sermons, and select programs of Park Avenue Synagogue. If you like what you are hearing or want to learn more about the community, please check out our website at www.pasyn.org. See you in shul.